Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast. Join me every other week to hear data professionals discuss how data is used in various industries, get inspired, get your field of tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight into it. This is episode 25 of the Women in Data podcast, Reflections on Career Resilience. I am joined today by Lizzie Harris, Senior Customer Analytics Manager at Sainsbury's. With years of experience in analytics, Lizzie specializes in customer behavior analytics and loyalty strategy. She is also very passionate about growing talents. While this episode starts with a chat on how Sainsbury's utilizes data, it then goes to a very open and honest conversation on career resilience where Lizzie and I share our experience. You will hear about our values, our bad feedback stories, resilience around job titles, how Lizzie fell victim to the cancel culture due to her neurodiversity, and much more. Hi, Lizzie. Hello, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. It's such a pleasure to have you with me today. I remember the first time I saw you talking at Sainsbury's, I think it was in 2019, for one of the women in data meetups. Yeah, I was just mind blown. I think everybody was just, oh my God, this is amazing. So it's really great that I have you here with me today so we can talk about data in the grocery industry, but also about career resilience. Oh, thank you, Karen. I remember meeting you that day, actually, in the the wine and nibbles afterwards. Before we get into it, could you maybe introduce yourself? Yeah. So I'm Lizzie. I look after the loyalty and customer analytics team at Sainsbury's. So this includes all of the analysis behind our Nectar scheme at Sainsbury's and Argos, as well as understanding all of our customers better through models and segmentations and predicting what they're up to in order for us to be able to serve them better and reward them. That's, that's what I do. Yeah, sounds interesting. Uh, you've been in the grocery industry for about 10 years now. Have you seen that? <laughs> God, don't, don't say it. <laughs> it makes you sound really... <laughs> that's what happens it's just time flies you're still the same age don't worry we're cancelled 2020 (laughs) (laughs) have you seen an evolution in the place of data in in the grocery industry over those 10 years uh yes most certainly so i'm an i'm an analyst which means i mostly consume data though i create a lot of it too But 10 years ago, I'm not sure I could have told you the name of a single data engineer in our business, or I'm not even sure how or where data came from and got to my little computer. And actually, it wasn't little, it was massive. It was one of those huge monitors that would sit on the desk. Um, Yet yet now, it's kind of a completely integrated way of working between analysts and engineers, and it's part of our daily lives. So I think how we consume data and use it and the roles required have completely changed. At Sainsbury's we've also had a new CDO role implemented in the last four years to prioritise the the actions required to bring data to the forefront and money's really been put where its mouth is. We've moved from on-prem Teradata to the cloud using Snowflake 
and I think I've I've only ever worked in two industries but I've got old work or uni friends all over the place and it's a really small world do you find that Karen? I, I do it's absolutely scary so we are in London one of the biggest cities in the world and you just end up bumping when you're in data right bumping with someone who work with someone that you know very small world yeah it's tiny and when you know when you're interviewing candidates as well there's generally a mutual connection in there somewhere um, and but I feel really really lucky that from being in banking and retail they've always been data-led I've been in businesses where I've not really had to fight very often for the obvious outcome of that data story to be heard um, and data isn't just a thing that some people use to answer some questions or act upon it's the starting point data is the starting point to absolutely everything but in the hundreds of interviews that I've done Candidates so often talk about the struggle to land messages or own the outcomes and decisions. Um, but Rita's always just been hungry for more, for more insight, more data, more, more, more. The team sizes grow all the time. I think we've got about 800 data and analytical colleagues. My God. Yeah. Although it's changed, it's always been important. It's always been important. Yeah. I feel really lucky for that. It's really hard to leave that. Um, I just, yeah, I feel like we're so privileged where we are. Yeah, I think also because where where you are, because you sit on such a massive database, it, it has to be very interesting all the possibilities you you have in there, and you probably have data coming from different data points. But what what kind of data do you do you see, and what are you trying to do with it? Yeah, so so much. Good question. I mean, with eight hundred colleagues, you think there's a lot of problems to solve there. <laughs> Personally, and what we do within marketing and my team is we're looking at, okay, well, how can we understand what a customer is doing right now and what they might need to be doing and how can we help them achieve that? Or how can we, how can we help show them that, that why you don't need to go anywhere else and you can get the best value and how can we reward them for choosing us? And then in other areas of our business, we're thinking about, okay, well, in our shops, how can we get product from the back to the front of the store as quickly and as efficiently as possible? And it goes even further than back across our entire logistics and supply chain. How can we do that as quickly and as efficiently as possible? And you know that absolutely came to light during the, the stockpiling of March. One of the big issues was how we could get the stock out as quickly as possible. Then there's thinking about how we can price our products appropriately and what ranges should we have in our stores and how do we um, optimize our online delivery, slot booking and you know, the physical delivery? How do we optimize where our vans go and what we put in each one and how many we need and what colleagues hours we need? And yeah, I'm sure you can imagine. Something I, I find really great is the, the way you use how people shop. And I have to say that the most satisfying experience I have recently Reese, is, you know, the, the new Nectar app where you shop and then you have to scratch the, the screen and it does the, oh, you want 10 extra points. And I'm like, yes. I just remembered this is only an audio recording. So no one will see the kind of little arms up <laughs> hurrah I just made. Yes. Lizzie, something you are extremely passionate about is career resilience. Why do you think that is important? Because life can be a bit rubbish, can't it? <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the day, businesses are paying us to do a job and we need to be resilient to the outcomes that make progress. So, in a, especially in a business as large as ours, things can be tricky to land, especially massive projects spanning multiple teams and divisions. In roles that I've been in, I've been made redundant twice. 
not because they wanted me out, but because it was the right decision for the company and a restructure. But I have been a, I don't know how to word it other than a stereotypical millennial at times, complaining about things or expecting growth and opportunities to just fall into my lap, expecting changes to happen at my request or, you know, my request to be paid more to just be greeted with, oh yeah, sure. Um, And just being surprised if, you know, decisions that were way above my head were not in my personal best interest, which, you know, it's, it's crazy on reflection for a business that employs, you know, a couple hundred thousand people. And Karen, let me ask you, have you ever forgotten that we're paid at Cardlytics or back in Wordline or anywhere else that you've worked? I have not. I hear what you're saying about the the expecting everything to, to fall on your lap, right? I, the biggest example I have from that is when I finished university. So I've mm. got a master's in applied statistics. I was thinking, oh, yes, I'm going to land a great job. I'm going to have a great salary from the beginning. And then the reality yeah. hit, right? It's just you struggle to look for a job. You go. Everybody says, you, yes, you don't have experience. And your answer to that is, well, I just finished university. How do you want me to have experience? I want the experience. And it's. I think this is the start of realizing that it is harder than you think and then you do need this resilience to to keep you going and then develop your skills. Otherwise, you're just going to stay in this complaining spirit of what the hell is going on? Why am I not getting what I thought I was going to get? And But also understanding that your expectations might be a bit higher than what the reality is. Yeah, and I'm not saying reduce your expectations either. I think it's just more about how you feel as and when it's a longer journey to get to them. I have the opposite problem to you. So I nearly did a master's, but instead chose to get the experience. And, and then it was all like, oh, but you don't have a master's qualification. So, you know, you can't, you can't have it all. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think the key to resilience is really a, a conflicting mix of skills to grasp. Um, and they're true for things that can happen both inside and outside of work. A key one is knowing your values. So kind of what will you and and won't you stand for or put up with? So what is what's important to you about a job that you have? So for me, this this includes having direct access to outcomes. So I know that I'd be really frustrated if I was in a role that passed data or analysis over a fence to somebody else to then have a say in what happened next. I need to be in control of those use cases. Another one of my values is loyalty. So I don't really like working with people who will say one thing or do another or aren't in my camp, as it were. Do you you know what yours are? I never thought about my values in terms of career. So it's more my value in terms of who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. But something that I, I guess applies to career is I'm really keen on personal development and that means always learning and encouraging people to learn which is something that is very valuable in data right yeah definitely yeah and also respect and honesty so you are talking about being loyal so I guess it kind of related to that I can't lie as a person so (laughs) if I lie you will know straight away even if you don't know me and that's because I just can't stand it yeah I think it's really important to understand yourself so you know what what you will and you won't part with I think another thing and I said these would be quite conflicting mix of skills to grasp but the second thing I think is getting over yourself this feels like the opposite of our values doesn't it but but what I mean is we, we can be wrong so for example accepting feedback and this is this is something that a lot of us need to build our resilience for so feedback really is a gift Um, and it's from people who are trying to help us and sometimes we need we need to break a bit in order to grow 
And every bit of feedback I've received that's ever made me feel really tiny or every time I didn't get a job or the outcome or the decision that I wanted didn't go my way, it's, it's made me a better person. But in the moment, you can't, you can't think forward to that. You just think, oh, this is rubbish. This is rubbish. I feel awful. Um, and in the past, I have had line managers that I have absolutely hated and complained about because of some feedback that they gave me that wasn't, wasn't either completely complimentary or wrapped in a good, bad feedback sandwich. So, you know, you feel hurt and you feel personally attacked and you don't believe it and you, you just want to moan about them. But in hindsight, when I consider those moments, they were the moments in my career that I needed to be thankful for. So yeah, they broke me down a bit, but to build me back up for the better. And they were absolutely right. They were willing to sacrifice my liking of them. That classic manager flaw of wanting everyone to like you. They were able to get over that, sacrifice me liking them in the moment in order to help me grow. I totally agree. Feedback is super important. But, you, you know, sometimes you're not really used to receiving feedback and some people are mm. not that used to give feedback or they can be a bit blunt. I mean, uh, I can be a bit blunt sometimes. My boyfriend tells me all the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but maybe there is something around you're delivering the feedback, but the way you're delivering it and also making sure someone is used to getting feedback. If you never give feedback and then all of a sudden you come and say, I don't know, Lizzie, this was shit. You have to do it differently. <laughs> well, obviously you're going okay. to take it bad, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have a tip on how to, to do that? As in the giving of the feedback. Yeah. It's, it's so tricky, isn't it? Because you want to get to the, the core point as quickly as possible. And you almost want it to shake. Sometimes you need to shake them up a bit because otherwise if you land it so softly, it doesn't land at all. Yeah. It's, it's a really tricky one. And you just have to try and make sure that it is an environment where, so whichever side you're on, you're in the environment, either you know some feedback is coming or they know that, or they know that some feedback is coming and just, that's it. That's the only topic of conversation. I struggle with framing of things at the best of times, but I think the framing of it almost dilutes it a bit. So I'm not against harsh truths and a bit of bluntness sometimes because if I, I especially I need to receive it that way otherwise I miss the point okay. so I struggle to read around read between the lines but um so I would prefer it a bit more directly yeah different people would have different ways of doing it and different ways of receiving it from from what you say which is interesting so it makes it even harder for managers to to be able to to do that yeah, exactly. So be resilient and then whatever, however it's delivered, you'll you'll be able to manage it. And it's really cliche, isn't it? But what you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you get some bad feedback, fine, react a bit, cry a bit, go for some cocktails, bitch about it, but then you know, then listen to it and reflect on it and be mature and grow from it. I think the timeline of that really depends on the situation and on you. Um and what the feedback was or how far you are on your resilience journey. I think my biggest one was probably a, a decent week filled of tears before some mature reflection and that's okay and then maybe in years to come you can write some thank you letters in the future when you when you realize that they were right and it was exactly the intervention that you needed at the time and how your resilience has grown since then too. I, I need to do a few of these actually. Karen can you think of someone you need to thank for some harsh truths? This is actually a question I never asked myself and thank you so much for, for putting that there because I need to think about it. 
probably I would say that the first one would be before moving to London, I was looking for a job in Paris. Mm. I was moving from the first job I had after universities to going to, I wanted to go into credit risk analytics and I went to interviews and interviews. And I remember one day I went for an interview in a company that was next to another company I went to and they brought me a SAS test and I looked at the test and I told them, oh, I've already done this test with the company that sits in the same, um, on the same floor as you. And they went, okay, so <laughs> this is going to be really bad. So that's me at the beginning of my career. So they went and talked to the other people. And then they came back to me like 10 minutes later saying, they're seeing that you are really great at the SAS test, but you can't sell yourself. So bye. <laughs> this, that, that was it. <laughs> They just closed the test. Honestly. (laughs) But it did help me realize that actually I can't just sit behind my screen, not talk, be super shy, and not show who I am personality-wise. I I can't be not getting involved. I have to get involved in the business life, show what I can do, and not just be like the girl who can code, because this is not what data analytics is about, right? You there are so many things around it. There are the people skills and I think this helped me build that skills, I guess. And I think it was kind of unfair, but I did learn from it. So maybe I will send them a letter. That would be such a good thing to do. And it generally means when you're going for a job, you don't get it. That generally means that someone else has got it. And we can't we can't all have it. We can't all have every job all the time. And so, you know, we must make sure we get the feedback from that experience and learn from it and that we're ready next time. And actually by writing them, maybe not a letter, maybe an email, but by writing to them, you know, that will that will open that bridge up again. You never know if you if you want to. Yeah, well, I'm definitely not going into a credit risk. (laughs) (laughs) That's another thing I need to be thankful for. I love customer data. There you go. It was it was meant to happen. Although, you know, credit risk is still customer data. Yeah, Um, kind of. So, yeah, but it happened for the right reasons for you. You know, it's like we wouldn't want to be in a relationship with someone who didn't want us. It's the same with a job. You don't want to be in a job with a line manager who doesn't want you. So. Exactly. Let's learn from it and move on and there'll always be more jobs. It's so much easier said than done, though. You know, it can take months to bounce back for something like that. But as long as you do. Job titles is another one. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to talk about that, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> get over it. You just need to get over it. Get over your job title. Do you want to talk about this data analyst versus data scientist job title? Yeah, I mean, in analytics, data science, there's such a hierarchy of job titles that I just, I've had enough of it and I'm having none of it. Um, the analysts in my team, they use data science techniques all the time and we're developing machine learning models, repairing data engineers to deploy data pipelines and models into production. Yet we keep it really simple. We just use the analyst job title. Um, I think instead of, just think beyond the title and instead think about the work that you want to be doing or that you are doing. So when I look at candidates or LinkedIn, I don't care what your title was. I care more about those experiences that you've had or that you're looking for. So I think being being resilient to your job title just opens up so many more doors. And if you are limited on what job title you're after, it just blocks opportunities and it puts you in pigeonholes. And actually, probably ends up with a bit of disappointment. Imagine if you thought you were a data scientist, but then you're just doing some reporting in Excel because actually the employer didn't know what they wanted a data scientist for. And in reality, you can call yourself what you like outside of work. No employer will ever care or call you up on it. Do you, do you call yourself 
an analytics consultant or anything other than that? Honestly, Lizzie, when I got promoted in, was it October, to an analytics consultant? Thank you. It took me a couple of weeks to update it on LinkedIn, thinking, am I putting analytics manager or am I putting analytics <laughs> consultant? But I went from the analytics consultant, so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As, as long as as long as you know that there's so much more to you than that title, um, and actually, I think you know, I spied on you this morning on LinkedIn. You don't just say analytics consultant; you also talk about your weird podcast and everything else. You talk about all of these other things about you, which is exactly right. Thank you, uh, Lizzie. How do you build resilience? I think it's about banking the little wins and thinking about your progress. I want to say it's an extreme example, but it's probably a really common example. But if you're in a really bad place, just getting up and having a shower is demonstrating resilience. You know, you could have just rolled over and stayed in bed, crawled a bit, scrolled on your phone a bit. But getting up, you are winning. So, you know, that that is resilience. There's a colleague at Sainsbury's who taught me this when I needed to hear it. She's exceptionally resilient and she helped me realise that I was making progress after a setback because I was there, I was showered, I was dressed, and I was being resilient just by showing up. And this sounds really simple, but actually, whilst we're all working from home a lot more, and this is probably more important than ever, as we don't have that extra drive of needing to physically be somewhere in order to drive ourselves to get up, shower, look presentable, as we would have done. Like, there's a lot, there's nothing that's driving us to do that, because, you know, if we didn't show up at work, we'd be, you know, compromising our livelihood, whereas now that's not the case. So it's all about banking those little wings even the little ones and I think whilst we're at it imposter syndrome is normal it is absolutely normal to feel like you're not good enough and it's normal to look around and think that everyone else is confident and has it sussed but again you've shown up you've got the job you're doing it right now so you need to pat yourself on that back and keep going and these feelings are never going to go away regardless of how senior you get you're always going to have what is deemed imposter syndrome so you just take each step and each task of your role and do it your way and then do the next one and then do the next one and just respect your own progress and bank the wins write them down every now and then so you can read it back and reflect on it and be like oh my god I used to struggle with this but now now I nail that and I struggle with this thing and the more you do it the more resilience you'll be building I love how you talk about imposter syndrome being normal. It's okay. Uh, and I remember having a massive case of it, right? So depending on where you are at your life, you can have it more or less. And it does affect anyone. So men, women, it's just how you relate to it, just like what you were talking about, how you relate to your job title, I guess. And there is a book I cannot recommend enough, which is Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, which definitely got me out of that spiral of I have an imposter syndrome because I can't do the job and understanding mm -hmm. that, hold on, everybody has it. This is why you have it. Uh, so basically deal with it. Just changing the way I was relating to that made a massive difference. So yeah, read the book if you have an imposter syndrome. Yeah, good suggestion. Yeah, just keep banking the wins, keep doing it your way. And it really depends. So that's resilience to our own kind of internal but then there's resilience to the other people just just take each bit every step as it comes think about what it is you're reacting to if it's a job you didn't get it's a bit of feedback you didn't like think about well why like no one's giving you bad feedback because they want to make you feel bad that isn't that's not their intention their intention is to help you and you don't get the job it's not because it shouldn't be but it might be but it shouldn't be personal it should be all about well you know there's, there's this other person who 
they want in that job right now and it's therefore not the job for you right now but just need to learn from it and it might be the job for you in the future it might be that it wasn't job for you at all like you with credit risk yeah yeah very true and going back to this with events where I first heard you speaking you were talking about your neurodiversity is there any specific area of resilience that you have to focus on because of that hmm yes we all have our extra things to deal with don't we this is one of mine and I think being autistic like you've said actually but being autistic makes me honest and nothing's held back and it's a complete mind to mouth water slide which ends up being rude to people things come out of my mouth that a neurotypical person may have thought but would never dream of saying out loud and I really don't think I've ever meant to be rude to anyone but that's probably not completely true (laughs) but I don't really generally ever mean to be rude to anyone but I've definitely more often than not been received that way especially in this day and age I feel like I can be a victim of cancel culture do you know what I mean by cancel culture I'm not entirely Um, sure but I I kind of get it but I'm not sure 100% so cancel culture my uh, interpretation of it is where people you know you delete people from your Instagram feed or you delete their phone number or you delete people from your life that feel like give you negative vibes I'm supportive of that in one sense but I feel like I'm a victim of it in other ways in that if I accidentally offend someone they can you know emotionally react to that and they may they may do that directly to me they may not but as a result I'll be shut out or ignored or labeled as rude or difficult and I've lost a lot of friends that way from you know school or uni or work or otherwise and and I've also not gained friends that way because it puts puts people off and even at work I've lost allies and I've lost support which is which is like the key thing to your progression in a workplace is is that everybody thinks that you should be progressing that's that's how you get on in places so that's held me back in my career too but imagine if instead of everybody reacting and cancelling people we could have a an empathetic conversation about what what it is that we really mean and we can learn to separate and identify honest mistakes and well-meaning from a misunderstood assumption do you think maybe this conversation could happen like afterwards because if the situation just happened everybody's all emotional but if you take like a couple of days and then you go and say all right this happened and this is why this is not what I meant and then the other person will go this is not what I meant and then I understand your point I'm not autistic but as I said I can be quite direct so I I tend not to do it at work for some reason but at home it's just like that how I just say something talking about it straight away would result in a three hours argument (laughs) this happened so I'm not joking but I feel like if we had the conversation the next day it would have been an easier conversation to have Mm. I mean the fact that someone's willing to argue with you for three hours about something shows that they really care about you anyway doesn't it so you're already starting from a (laughs) a groundwork of they want to resolve it with you so yeah you know from a work point of view it's you're never going to have that three-hour argument about a comment yeah. are you it's more just going to be that they're going to go away and be like oh I, I won't deal with that person anymore but yeah I think trying out to seek out that understanding timings wise as soon as possible but it really doesn't matter as long as as long as it happens before you make decisions on that interpretation that you've had then you know that, that timing could be a bit longer for sure well definitely not straight away is always the right time but with the colleagues I work super closely with, I'm I'm able to have really open conversations about it and we're able to, in the moment, just check things out. 
what did you mean by that? Or I've misunderstood this bit. And we can have that conversation. But there's the colleagues that you're that are in that network of yours are already on your side, really. It's the ones that aren't, that it's really difficult. And the ones that will go away and stew on something for months without you even knowing that they're stewing on anything at all. That's yeah. the that's the tricky bit. So yeah, just try try and seek understanding. And this isn't just related to being neurodiverse. I think this is true of all sorts of um all sorts of intersectionality and we all say things we all interpret them in different ways so yeah thank you so much Lizzie this was super insightful and it's definitely getting me food for thought thank you for such a honest conversation oh thank you for having me I really enjoyed talking about it and talking with you thank you for listening to the women in data podcast If you don't want to miss the next episode, make sure you follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on LinkedIn. You can also register to the community for free by heading to womenindata.co.uk. We would love to hear from you, so don't be shy and drop us some feedback or a review. This will help us enhance the content and bring the guests that you want to hear from. Have a great day.